All right, we're in the book of Revelation, chapter 17. <clears throat> we got some interesting stuff to go over. I'm going to cover three chapters. And uh, uh, so I, uh, um, I welcome you to walk along with me. And we're getting down. It's going to be more informational stuff that's going on that kind of explains some things that are happening that we're going to be focused on in this. Uh, a little bit of uh, new information as far as like the dynamics of it going through. And then the, the startup or the shifting point, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, different things like that, some, some heaven side. So we're merging over into that side of it. We're in Revelations chapter 7 and um, uh, starting with verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials. Now we read about the, the vials and, and the angels with the vials last week. And talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, as you study the, the Old Testament, you'll see it greatly that any time um, the, the people of God and others lifted something higher or went after another God than God, God calls it spiritual fornication or spiritual adultery. So now we have a whore, uh, a, a whore here called a whore uh, that's drunk, made people drunk with the wine of her fornication, and uh, she sitteth upon many waters. Now, this whore is the, the total of those religions that oppose, they're opposed to all things Christ. And um, so basically, it's the religions of the world coming together under the canopy of one religion. Now, we're going to see some, some dynamics that go on with the beast. Remember, he has a false prophet, and he's trying to, to garner all control and authority within his realm. Now, uh, you may have heard of uh, the, the World Council of Churches. Uh, the goal of the World Council of Churches uh, is to bring all religions under one, not, not that they have to change their doctrine or anything, but bring them all in agreement under one umbrella. And uh, then there's a, a national branches of churches which heavily supports the World Council of Churches. Uh, <clears throat> and so verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored color, beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, we first met this beast having seven heads and ten horns in chapter 12 and chapter 13, and we discussed them. Nothing of this beast that's supporting this harlot system is of God. Doesn't matter what programs they're putting together, everything is is basically demonic in origin. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet uh, color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So um, it's, it's a well-supported system. It's a religious system. And... Uh, and this angel is showing John it. Upon her forehead was a name written mystery. Now, in saying out mystery, and we've talked about it in other chapters, uh, basic on the negative side, not the God side, there's, there's things that are, are a mystery, you know, held within the kingdom of God, but this is talking about another side. It's controlled by witchcraft. It, it deals with fears and unbeliefs. Uh, there's even Christian churches <clears throat> that come at the Word of God in a fear-based manner. You better do this or else. And they, they still fear. That, that's not God. There is no fear in God. And, uh, and even, if, even if there's a warning, a rebuke, of if you keep doing this, you're going to, uh, you're going to walk into some trouble, uh, you still got a right to do it. You're just going to pay the price for it. And, and that's where you know, God exhorts us to... to you know, sharpen each other. Iron sharpens, iron sharpens iron, and to provoke people into love, we should be watching out for, 
for each other and making sure. But in the end, we all have a right to choose how we want to live. Upon her name was written mystery. So within the basis of it is this uh, witchcraft and things like that. Babylon the Great was another name. Now, this is very interesting because many theologians teach that this is the Roman Catholic Church. But it can't be because, the uh, number one, the Roman Catholic Church didn't even come into existence until about 325 A.D. Uh, at the Council of Nicaea. And uh, this is dating all the way back to Babylon thousands of years ago. And so... Um, uh, and, and there's, I'll bring it out a couple times about the, the Catholic Church. Uh, people harp on this, uh, but, but it's not the Catholic Church. And um, <clears throat> the mother of harlots. Now notice this one is plural. And abominations of the earth. So, so on her forehead was a name, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So every... Every system that tries to exalt itself above what God has said, spiritual fornication, uh, you know, little harlots versus the big harlot, she's like in control of all of it, or she's the mother of all harlots, or everything that, that she is doing, it may be done on smaller scales through different organizations, but it's all the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> and... Uh, so, uh, you know, let me, let me throw in, this, this is something that I think many people don't see, but this green movement, it's a religion. It falls into this. Because they're exalting the saving of the planet or that the planet is so valuable that they're exalting it above the earth. Now, does that mean that everybody that drives an electric vehicle is wrong? No. Uh, if you want to drive an electric vehicle and you want to stop every two hours and recharge it and rock on, um, you know. Um, but if you're, because you're saving the planet, you've bought into the religion. Uh, even the, uh, the vegan movement, because if you look at on a wide scale, in fact, Bill Gates just came out the other day and uh, stated his plan is that by, I don't know, 2030 or something like that, nobody will eat meat. And the Bible talks about that those who don't eat meat are weak and that it's a belief system. See, now, now what, what we tend to do as human beings is just look at things at face value. But they're birthed through spiritual things. And we should, be, we should be paying attention to everything that is going on. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great wonderment or admiration. So, so he had to have seen something that struck him beyond there were false religions in the earth. And, and this goes all the way back to the Egyptian empire. This, this is where that, even like what Ralph was talking about on the offering, where people go, well, that's, that's Old Testament. It doesn't apply to me. If you look at what God is showing John. Now, has anybody ever, during the time we've been talking about this, how was God showing him the things that were going on when they haven't happened yet? You start thinking about that, man. You weird yourself out. It's like, well, did it already happen? Can we go back in time? Can we go forward in time? Yeah, anyway, just kind of weird stuff. But anyway, but he's showing them all this stuff that's going on. I lost my track. But it, but it goes all the way back to the Egyptian empire. And God's view is a long-term view. Everything that God has done, in fact, even in the covenant that we live in right now, study the book of Galatians, all the way back in the days of Abraham, that seed, which was Christ, not Isaac, that seed, which was Christ, he was doing things that was going to start working down here. Because God doesn't look, God was not looking at what Abraham was going through. God was looking about how do I put this whole thing back together because of what Satan was able to do with Adam and Eve and get sin into the earth. Now contrast with us. Most of us have a 
24, 36, 48 hour circle of thinking. What I'm going through right now. Can't wait till Friday. We even got a phrase for it, TGIF. Because people have a Friday mentality. Well, praise God, one day I'll be in heaven, but I'm looking here. And we short circuit. And even if you take most preaching within most churches, focuses on what you're going through right now. This is something that's been on my heart. Kind of prayed about it before. Dr. Bark, no, Dr. Mize said something about when he first went into the mission field. He got really, really sick and almost died. Went down to Panama. I can't remember what it was he said he got. They had to send him home and go to a doctor because they didn't have the medical stuff or whatever he got and came back home and it took him a while to recover. And he's like, I, I was talking to the Lord and I told him, you know, I'm willing to die for you, but that's not a very good plan. It's hard for you to find missionaries who are willing to go into these hard places and preach the gospel. And when you find one and he goes down there and he dies because of whatever's in the land, uh, you're going to run out of missionaries before you ever reach the world. And he got a revelation. And uh, even to where they went through rivers that were full of leeches. And he took the scripture that no pestilence shall befall you or whatever how that verse goes. And uh, he said he'd go through them. There'd be no leeches on him and everybody else would be full of leeches. They'd have to take the knives and, you know, knock them off. And he learned how to live without getting sick, which means that, and he said when he got sick, is that if I wasn't sick, I could have done more. If you and I are fighting sickness and money all the days of our life, we're never going to do what God called us to do. And the victory, that's why it's part of the redemption package, is we've got to get our mindset beyond what we're walking through today, especially in sickness and, and money. Because God can supply testimony just, just now with Joyce that, that illustrated that, uh, that I like that. I haven't paid for gas out of my own money since September. Anybody want that testimony? Yeah. It's available. Amen. All right, let's get back to the Word of God, verse 6, uh, verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore, or why did you, why did you look? He didn't look with admiration as in admiring, more like astonishment. Where, why'd you marvel? Why'd you look at this and marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not. And shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Perdition meaning utter destruction. And they that dwell on the earth, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld, uh, behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So basically what he's saying, this is where we get messed up on the beast, the Antichrist. Remember John said, the spirit of the Antichrist already works right now. Okay, so when we say the Antichrist, typically what we're saying is the man of sin that will be revealed. But the beast is actually a system that goes back into the kingdoms. And you can read and study about it in the book of Daniel, the, the vision of the, um, the statue and the different parts of what it was made out of, which dealt with the Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greece, and the Roman empires. And what was one thing that was common in all of these empires? They wanted to control the world. What is the thing that Satan wants? He wants to be the god of the world. He wants to control the world. And, and in different strategies, in different manners... He raises up or, you know, works within a, a, a leader that's prone to him to try to take over the world. And they were, they were all defeated. Now, we're going to get into some things here that we just got to kind of follow along. Um, so that was and is not and yet is. So that the system is still at work. And here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, here's another element that theologians that like to, to um, uh, uh, 
the Catholic Church, blame them, like to accuse them of being this, is because of the seven hills of Rome. But we're going to see that that's not, that's not true. So if you're, if you're stuck on the, the Catholic Church being this, get unstuck, because it's clearly not. Uh, and here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are five kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So, five, here are the seven kings. So we see here that the seven mountains are kings. Now, I told you earlier on, in biblical rules of interpretation, that when you see the word sea, S-E-A, and it doesn't relate to an identified body of water, that it's talking about a multitude of people. When you see, here's another one. When you see the word mountain, and it's not related to a big pile of dirt, rocks, you know, mountain, uh, it's, returning to, it's referring to governments. So then he comes back after, the seven heads are seven mountains, and there are seven kings. So these heads are not mountains. Uh, again, why the Roman Catholic Church is not this, because it's not talking about mounds of dirt, the, the seven hills of Rome. There are seven kings. Five are fallen. So five of the seven are fallen. The Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greece kingdoms that, that you all read about in history, Greece being Alexander the Great, and uh, you know different ones that, that you've heard of. One is... Now, John's standing there, you know, in this revelation. So what is the one that is? Did you say Roman? Very good. He's been doing good in our Bible studies on Tuesdays, too. It, it was the Roman Empire. One is. And the other is not yet to come, which is the one that's coming. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. How long is this time? Well, seven years. Makes agreement at the beginning of seven years, violates it at three and a half years, and really goes into business for the latter three and a half years. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. So the one that came up that is no longer becomes the eighth and is of the seventh, and goes into perdition. So there will be seven, and out of the seven, the eighth will come. So now, here's a case for Rome being the origin, which I, I don't really see that, but here's a case for it. The Western division of the old Roman Empire is identified with the common market of Europe, or the European Economic Community, which in their documents references in their, their treaty, the Treaty of Rome, which was created in 1957. So many theologians believe that out of this European Economic Community is going to rise up. Now there's more than, um, you know, there's a lot of countries within that, but there's going to have to be some, according to the number, that's going to have to rise up, which is 10 in verse 12. And the 10 horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as of yet. So uh, we're going to see how that works. So, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, this, this Antichrist system is trying to do what? Control the world. Okay? And he has ten horns which probably, very likely, is 10 countries. So in this European economic unit, there's probably 10 that are going to arise as very strong behind the, the, the Antichrist that's coming. Now, what's his goal? What? Control. Control the world. Same thing that's always been. So probably something like, may not be ac totally accurate, makes a promise to these 10 countries to get behind him. And once he conquers the world, one world government, one world, 
So that's why I said that the beast is not successful in anything. I don't believe we'll ever get to a one world government, maybe for an hour. Okay, but it's not, that, that hour is not going to have too much of an impact. It's interesting. Armageddon is one hour also. So, so now, so probably, this is, this is kind of David's speculation in it, putting it together, is that this Antichrist makes a pact with these ten governments that are strong enough governments to, to stand uh, about. So in the European Economic Community, I'll just pick one out of the air, I, you know, that probably by their history, Hitler, Germany would probably be one of them that would stand because they're financially strong, they're militarily strong, you know, they have power. He would need countries like this, maybe it's not Germany, but you would need countries that are, that are strong enough and promises them, you stand behind me to get this and I'll give you control over one-tenth of the earth. And so they say, okay, we'll do that. So, so they receive power as king, well, let me go back to the and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as of yet because the Antichrist hasn't conquered as of yet with where we're at. Now, this, this Antichrist um, is a, a prominent world diplomat. So, so go to, hold your place here and go to Daniel chapter 8, which describes him. There's a lot of speculation on who this person is. Now, one of the things, as we've read in other, um, he's homosexual. That's very clear in the Bible. We, we covered parts on that. Daniel 8.23 says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, understanding dark sentences, shall stand up. So, so it's a person that's going to, Demonic activity, we know from other verses that we've read and already talked about uh, that the Antichrist will be homosexual. He'll be a, a, a communicator. So, so take out the other elements. I was trying to think of what type of person would this be? And I was just kind of thinking through our history. Um, a Ronald Reagan, who was just a master communicator. You're not going to catch him off guard. He didn't have to have a script. He didn't have to have a, a whatever they call the teleprompter. Uh, he, he was quick on his feet. He was smart. He could communicate ideas, and people liked him. Um, Bill Clinton, he was a, a master communicator. You weren't going to catch him off guard. People liked him. He drew people to himself. Um, he... he uh, like I said, you're not going to catch him off guard. He was smart in what he did, and he knew how to handle himself. On a more fierce element, Dick Cheney, uh, kind of a controversial character. You may not like him. He probably didn't draw people to him, but you're not going to catch him off guard. The guy, the guy was just very smart, could answer any question. You're not going to pin him. You're not going to trap him. And this person has to be, has to have a skill set within that arena of communications. Now, I'm not saying they like led up to him or anything like that. I, I'm just looking at personalities and really the communication uh, personalities uh, of the three that I mentioned is they could handle themselves. They could draw people to them and, and they, they, they were just smart enough for the day, that he understood dark things, which probably ties into the um, um, the witchcraft and type stuff that goes on uh, with that. Okay, so now, what verse did I just stop at? Okay. These have, um, they, they have one mind. So these ten come together in one mind with the Antichrist. Shall give their power and strength unto the, the beast. They're going to be loyal. Their strength could be monetarily standing with him, uh, militarily standing with him. So that's why I said um, it's not going to be a weak, poor country because he needs the armament. He needs the money. He needs to, the ability to do what he's going to do. These shall make war with the lamb. Now, now this, in verse 14, we're coming back to 
Armageddon because they're going to fight against the Lord. What These make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and kings of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen, are called and chosen and faithful. So these three elements are found with those who are in with the Lord who return at the day of Armageddon. This is your Revelation chapter 4, saints. This is not just every Christian. These are people that, that uh, remember the Bible says that many are called but few are chosen. Well, these are called and chosen. So they're not the many, they're the few. And they're the faithful. The faithful doesn't mean having faith. It means walking in the things of God. They're, they're faithful to it. It doesn't matter what it costs them. They will walk it out like the martyrs. It doesn't matter if I lose my life. I'm, I'm faithful to the word. I'm going to stand in the word. Verse 15. And he said unto me, The waters which you saw where the horse sits. Now go back to verse 1. There, there, and there came one of the seven angels, which are the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So for a long time, uh, it was said that they, you know, some, some theologians have taught that they're like, it's an island place or, or something like that. And he said unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Remember, the word sea in the absence of a direct body of water means a multitude of people. So this system is operating or has reach into basically all tribes, nations, tongues, and, and everything, you know, reaching all peoples. And then, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. Now, why would they hate the whore? The whore is the religious system. The ten beasts are the ones that has given alliance to the Antichrist. Why? Have you got an idea? Painting with a broad brush across the world, which are people more inclined to? Religion or politics? Religion. Nearly every war that's ever been fought has a, has a religious component to it. People are controlled more by their belief systems than their... And so this horror who has a hand in all religions has trouble gaining control because people are more adherent to their religion than their politics on a large basis. So he does not have full power. So they hate her and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So they're, they're going to, uh, their desire is to turn against her. <clears throat> For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. So the, this whole system is going to collapse because God has put in the hearts of these that are unified of the ten to come against her. And to, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, God's will, and to agree and give their kingdoms unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, or all nations, or has its hand in all nations. So where is that city? Geneva. Now, it's interesting because historically all the World Council of Churches everything, and anytime they work, you know, governments work on treaties and stuff like that, they would go to Geneva, which is in Switzerland, to do it. But now Davos, a lot of stuff is going on in Davos. Do you know what country Davos is in? Switzerland, same, same country. So it's interesting to see, and it seems like more is pointing to uh, this element. You know, could something happen and could we be wrong? Absolutely. But it looks more and more that in the destruction of this, it's going to be the destruction of Switzerland. After these things, we're in chapter 18 now. 
After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his angel's glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, this is the same angel that was, we read about in chapter 14, verse 8, if you want to reference it later. For all nations, now, for all nations have drunk of the wine of her wrath, of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard, verse 4, another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Now that's an interesting statement because there's nothing godly about this system. It's all demonic in origin. But another voice in heaven says, Come out of her, my people, that you, may, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Now, who are these people? Why would, why would God's people be called out from this demonic system? Because in every religion of the world, I don't care what religion you're talking about, whether it be Muslims, um, Mormons, uh, Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah uh, um, all the isms, Shintoism, Hinduism, there's people in them that truly are trying to seek the higher power, a God. They just tried to find them on the wrong road and it has been caught up in that road. So there's going to be an opportunity for people to come out of their delusions, their deceptions, their lack of knowledge, and they're going to come out. When is this probably going to take place? What we've talked about where, where angels are ministering the Word of God. We'll reach in. God knows who's really, truly, you know, they're in a false religion, but God knows who tr really, truly has a desire to know Him. They're just in a wrong system. And God does not, again, in God's love and God's mercy, He does not want them uh, to be a part of the destruction of this whore. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double under her according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill her to double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she, uh, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who ju judges her. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because this system didn't come about yesterday. This system's been working all the way through the Egyptian empire, all the way through. How many Egyptians, I know there's Egyptian because there's still an Egyptian company, a country, but how many Egyptians that were part of the original Egyptian empire are still alive today? Zero. So what does the destruction of her have to do with them? Because God looks in a long-term view. You and I, this is where all these doctrines and everything, it's about me. Getting my money better, getting my health better, getting my fun together, getting my... And, and people now are living in a my, 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 my world. And God's looking at this, this total thing, which takes into account Old Testament and New Testament, who said, my word shall not return to be void. It shall be accomplished wherewith I have sent it. These are part of his words that he has sent, which we're reading in the, the book of Revelation that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. It's tapping into what Ralph said there. Can't say, well, that was God's old word. He has a new word now. No, God said that my word does not change. 
So even on the doctrine of grace that's going around, you know, that's been going around for a decade or two, uh, now is that grace is all about me so that I can live the way that I want to live. And it has nothing to do with that. It's about so we're empowered to do what God said so that we can live at the level that he's created us to live at. What verse am I on now? Seven? No, I read it eight, didn't I? So I'm on nine. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her. They're, they're going to see this happening. When they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Again, we see this one hour. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and of silver and of precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all, and all was that, thine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and of iron and of marble and of cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which were dainty and goody are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine lemon and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to nothing. And every shipmaster and I think this verse is easy. For in one hour so great riches is come to nothing, and every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. There is, uh, Dr. Barkley, I believe it was, was talking about this, and there is a great computer system, and it's called the Beast. And if I remember, it's in the country of Belgium. Is that correct? And it controls all commerce on seas and everything else. That, that, that verse right there kind of sounds like it is referring to that. What do you mean? It controls military stuff? Wow. Well, I'm sure it actually has everything numbered because that's the way most things are, are done. So I would, I would assume yes. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust upon their heads, cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Again, God's looking back to all the saints, all the martyrs, all the everything. And God has done it in one hour. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more. So it was a violent act that, that actually made this happen. And the voice of harpers, musicians, pipers, trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. No craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride 
shall be. Now, that's not the bridegroom and bride as of our bridegroom and bride, Jesus. Uh, shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. I want to go back. Maybe I, and the, the you know, that might, that might be actually the bridegroom, Jesus, and the bride, things we'll get into in just a minute, meaning that his spirit's not going to work there anymore. Utter destruction. Could be that. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and, and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, chapter 19 gets very interesting. And after these things, <coughs> I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, honor, and power unto the Lord our God. The true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornications, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forevermore. Now, again, he's judging based on all. The prophets, the saints, everybody that's died, everybody's given. Um. So God, again, pointing out God's eternal mindset. And everybody is shouting these alleluias, glories, honor, power uh, to the Lord. Now, who's the everybody in heaven? And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Who are the much people in heaven? Huh? The church? Is that what I heard? You've got the Revelation chapter 4, the church. You've got the Revelation 7. They cleaned their robes. You've got the mid-tribulation saints. You've got the 144,000. And you've got the believers that were converted by the 144,000. They're all in heaven now. And they're shouting what? Hallelujah. Salvation, glory, honor, power. Unto the Lord our God. Who's this about? You and me or about God? Now, Flip it back to our lives here. What's our lives mainly about? It's not about us. It's about Him. So then let's flip around. Let's look at our life. How much does our life right now glorify Him? See, this is why there's only one group of the Revelation 4 that were ready for Him. They are the saints that come back with Him at the, the time of Armageddon, Armageddon that we already dealt with because they were ready. They paid the price up front for the, for the um, reward at the end. It's kind of like retirement. You know, when you're 20 years old, you think you're going to live forever and you don't want to put money into retirement. But those who do and will pay the price up front, when they get into their 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever time they, they time to retire, they have enough money to live because they paid the price up front. People don't like paying prices up front. I wonder what would happen in America if our restaurants changed and as you walk in, you'd go to the cashier first and pay. <laughs> well, I don't know how good this food's going to be in the service, and if I have a problem, I want a little bit of leverage in this thing. And Sizzler. Oh, there is one. Now, Cody, you went too far. Shut up. No, I'm just kidding. Sizzler, that was a great answer, actually. What's that? The what? Where? Oh, fast food. Yes, you do, said the manager of fast food. <laughs> She's got a controlling spirit on you. I want your money before I fix your hamburger. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 4. And the four and the twenty elders, remember we read about them? And the four beasts, once flew around the throne, fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. So when they saw the risen Savior bring all this back into, they worshipped Him. They're, again, it's not about our lives. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, and you that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, 
And as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, what does the word omnipotent mean? All powerful. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Watch this. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made ready herself has made herself ready. And to her, who's her? The wife. Was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are true sayings. Now I'm going to mess with you for a little bit here. Can I mess with you? We have two events, the marriage of the lamb for the verse seven, for the marriage of the lamb is come. And then we have the marriage supper of the lamb, which we see in verse nine, the marriage supper of the lamb. Now, some, the supper is like a banquet. We might have a wedding, you know, have a dinner, sit down dinner with it or something like that. But we have a marriage where the lamb gets married. Now, modern theology is, who is the bride? That's the church. How come we don't read the Bible? Let us, go back to verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. <coughs> And to her the wife was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So now we have a differentiation between the bride and what the saints have done. See, we read things from the standpoint that it's all about us. What we do, the righteous, if you have like a New King James uh, version, it says the righteous acts of the saint. You and I clothe the bride. Okay. We could finish this next week, but turn, if you would, to chapter 21, verse 1. We'll deal with this again next week, but we'll read it briefly. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who does that verse say that the bride is? New Jerusalem. How is it adorned? By the righteous acts of the saints. What we did righteously here on earth is being stored up and in you know how it works, I don't know, but that our righteous acts see we get all hung up. Well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What are you doing about it? Righteousness is an act. It's a series of doing. Don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word of God. The word of God is the righteousness of God. And when we do righteousness, we are, don't know really how to verbalize it, clothing, adorning the new Jerusalem that we will live in. Now you can have your theology. I'm just kind of basing it on the Bible. And I'm only one of a handful of preachers that would even say that on this because all modern Christianity talks that we are the... In fact, every one of you said... Did anybody not say the bride? We had one. Who'd you say it was? Okay. Okay. So, so everybody in here, say two, because I would have two, uh, would say it was a bride. Where did we get that? People's taught us that. Now, let's go back. There's a lot of scriptures on 
the rapture of those who are ready, probably the most famous one, is the ten virgins. Five made it, five didn't. What does it call them? Wait, what did you say, Joyce? Yes, but, but, but how did, there, there's a description in there of them. Does anybody know what that description is? Friends of the groom. How come we interpret it as the bride? Sounds good, makes us feel good, because, hey, guess what? It's all about us. I'm telling you, in walk, and the reason I keep harping on this, Revelations 4, did I mention you don't want to miss the rapture? If it's all about you, you're missing the rapture. I guarantee it. Because this is not about you, and it's not about me. It's about him. All right. Verse 8, and, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, um, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Uh, I may have missed it. Let me look at my notes here real quick. No, it's down here. Okay, let's keep going. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are true sayings. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but verse 10. And I fell at his feet and worshiped him. Now, he's worshiping an angel, and the angel tells him not to do it. But the impactful statement that says these are true statements of what he said, he just saw what God has set up, and it caused him to fall on his face and worship. Okay, but now let's go back to verse um, 9. And he said unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, there's a parable that Jesus told, a story that Jesus told. Well, he walked the face of the earth, and it was about a meal. And he called, wait a minute, blessed are those which are called unto the marriage. And he called his disciples to come and eat the meal that he had prepared. And does anybody with a loud voice know what the rest of it says? And one by one, they all began to make excuses. I have this to go do. I have that to go do. I've got another thing to go do. And it angered the master so much that he said, go out into the highways and byways and compel it because I want my house full. Do you know how many Christians make excuses these days? I know, you're just busy. I'm telling you, maybe your doctrine, and I said this up front, you can have your own doctrine. It doesn't make me mad. You can, you can believe in eschatology however you want to believe it, but I kind of find some words here that tie into other scriptures that kind of tell us how to live. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See that thou do, do it not. Don't, stop up. Get up. I am your fellow servant, and of my brethren... Uh, and, uh, and of thy brethren that have a testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do, do you realize, you know, we get weirded out on this word prophecy, and people like to use it like a badge of honor, but the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you realize when Joyce came up here just a a minute ago and, and shared her story that was a spirit of prophecy because she testified of what Jesus has done. When we start testifying of what he's done in our life, delivering us, how he walks us through it, we're testifying, uh, or it's a spirit of prophecy that works uh, in that realm. Verse 11, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he that satteth upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire on his head, were many crowns. Remember, there was another guy on a white horse, but they, he had to be given a crown. Th this here is Jesus. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That's an interesting verse, I think. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, his blood, and is called the Word of God. I, I, I tell you, we, you and I cannot deviate from this Word. Don't make it up. 
Don't take it places it hasn't gone. Uh, Ralph mentioned the thing that if you add to this, uh, was it's specifically to the book of Revelations, if you add to this prophecy or take away from it, you're going to like, I don't remember what the thing said, but you, it ain't good. And, uh, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen. Now, this is what we call the return of Christ or the, the um, uh, you know, setting up for the battle of Armageddon. Now, before we read verse 15, I want you to go back to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah got a, a uh, glimpse of this day, which is the last day, Armageddon, and the things that, that went on there. So have you found Zechariah yet? Amen. Page 1131. Uh, chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the house, remember we talked about the city taken, trampled underfoot, and the house is rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. So that's his return. He's on earth which is before Jerusalem on the east side, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a great valley, that'd be the Kidron Valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the, uh, toward the north and half of it toward the south, and you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, you shall flee like as... You fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with him. These are the Revelation 4 saints. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. So gloomy, grayish. It's not going to be clear, but it's not going to be dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. Not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Now, that's a prophetic statement on you've got this gloomy, dark, gray element of time. You've got the battle of Armageddon, and then you've got light. You, we just stepped into the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Now, you remember last week or the week before how the waters turned to the blood of a dead man? But now we see that they're going to be turned back. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them uh, toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be, and the Lord shall be a king over all the earth in that day, shall there be one Lord and his name one. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba uh, to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Haniel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be, hang on one second. Okay, so we've got this day, and now we're entering into the, the millennial reign of Christ. And at verse 12 says, and this shall be the plague, this is Armageddon, and this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Now remember, uh, we dealt with it like a, an area of like 184,000 square feet or something, 184 square miles, I think it was, that we read. And the blood from the, uh, uh, you know, from the uh, ground to a horse's bridle. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall be consumed away in their mouth, and it shall, it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, 
and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor, and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem. And, and this is really interesting to me. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold, silver, apparel, in great abundance. Why does it affect, why does it, is it interesting to me? Because God is disturbed that the wicked have the wealth. Everywhere in the Old Testament, when they went in against an enemy, they not only got back what they lost, but they took spoils. God wants his people, and he's going to come in, he's going to take it all back. So shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in, in these tents as this place. Now let's go back and read verse 15 in Revelations 19. Verse 15. Covering a lot here tonight. Are you staying with me? And out of his mouth shall go a sharp sword. Now, what is a sharp sword biblically? The word word of God. Out of his mouth will come a word. So when these people melt, the battle of Armageddon is really not a battle in the sense of people going to fight. God's going to, Jesus is going to speak a word and they're going to start melting. That with it, he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness, the wrath of the Almighty. We talked about that uh, in uh, chapter 14. Uh, <clears throat> and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Now this supper is the eating of all the dead people. They're the cleanup crew. That you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And, and so you've got the cleanup crew, if you will. Now, there was a report that came out not too long ago that all kinds of different birds have been migrating to Israel and becoming habitat there. It's an interesting study. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, the saints. And the beast was taken. Now, this this last day of Armageddon, remember I said, and, and then it will be light in the evening time, moving into the millennial reign. But notice this, the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that worked miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And that includes everybody that's still alive that has the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. They did not go into the millennial reign of Christ. When a person takes the mark of the beast, they are doomed. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. We'll cover the last three chapters next week. Let's all stand. Any questions? I went longer. I'll blame it on Joy. She came up here and gave a great testimony. So, If she hadn't have done that, I'd have been out on time. Thank you, Joyce, because it was a great testimony and willingness to share. Anybody got any questions, comments? Nobody. Great. Everybody understand it? No? Who said no? Uh, I'd go back and listen to it. It is recorded. Um, You know, I'm not saying that I have the grasp on everything. There's a lot of teachings on eschatology. Uh, I teach a pre-tribulation eschatology. Some people preach a mid-tribulation. Some people preach preach a uh, post-tribulation. I was talking to somebody about the Bible the other day, and they were telling me it was one way. I was telling them it was another way. And uh, I said, you know, this is an interesting question. I'm going to call Pastor Harbaugh and get his opinion on it. But I'm pretty confident that I'm right. Because when it comes to Bible things, I have a history of being right. And so uh, uh, I called Pastor Harbaugh and I ran through the story. And uh, he interrupted me before he He says, no, David, it's this way. Which was the exact same way that I said it. And uh, so I'm like, uh, I, I may not have everything down correctly. But I think the, the, the understanding I do have 
lines up with the Bible. And that's where everything I come from is. Does it line up with the Bible or am I speculating? I don't want to speculate. Um, and so look at your doctrine. If you disagree with me on something, look at your doctrine. In fact, uh, you may disagree with me on the fact that the bride is the New Jerusalem, but go back and look at every verse. You're going to be hard-pressed. There's one verse that you could kind of make it look like we're the, the bride, but it, it's, it's kind of a stretch, and uh, all the other ones say nothing about it, yet we believe it. Now, hey, in the end, it's not a heaven or hell situation. It's not even a rapture or not rapture situation. We're going to find out who the bride is. You can disagree with me. I don't care. It doesn't really matter. We will, if I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter. We'll find out. But the Bible says, why would we think it was something else? Because we're smarter than God? Or it's about us? I want to be the bride. That sounds cool. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word.